Well, if you have a Bible, Romans 12 is where we'll be. I want to honor those of you who brought a Bible. We will have the uh, verses on the screen in a moment. And Chris Mixon read the whole chapter, and that really helped us set the tone. We are in, uh, this is the third installment of this series we're in called Drive Through Love. And we're uh, saying each and every week that it's relationships that make life so rich and rewarding, and it's relationships that make life so painful and difficult. How can we have good ones? How can we get over bad ones. Uh, the essence of drive-through love is, as one commercial jingle um, gave us uh, several years ago, instead of have it your way, uh, let's consider a better way. And there's a target. It's our, it's our passage. It's a theme for the whole series. It's Philippians uh, 2.5. And it says this, if we're uh, in relationships, look at the word we highlighted. We're in this relationship series. It says, in your what? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. So if you've been here these weeks, you'll hear me say this uh, for the third time, but the best way for you to improve your relationships, all of your relationships, whether married or single or whatever, the best way to make your relationships better is not just to be in church, but to have Christ Jesus in you. In a summer study break in a cabin in the woods, I came across a relationship attachment model by Dr. John Van Epp. We're going to make these books available for some who may want them uh, in a couple of weeks here on our campus. But he talks about this uh, attachment model that we all want to be in, that we want to walk our way through. And he, he claims that it's a, the biblical progression of relationships. And in these weeks, I'm taking one word, uh, one word a Sunday, and we're walking through them. And I, I'm demonstrating that I believe that he's correct. This is the biblical progression of relationships. Uh, the foundation is to know someone in order to trust them, to build uh, a commitment or to be able to rely on them, to, to commit to them. And then there's touch uh, involved. And we're going to look at that in a week five. And we'll uh, have a PG-13 sermon that day and make sure all of God's beautiful children are down the hall in our, in our kids' area. But we get this wrong on a couple of levels. Uh, one, we go too fast. We rush things, uh, and it becomes drive-through love, cheap, fast, and easy. Another way that we get it wrong is we get them out of order. Uh, we get to a place where maybe we rely on someone without knowing them, or we commit to someone unsure of whether or not we can really trust them. We looked at trust last week with three components. If you didn't have a chance to watch or listen, please go back and do so. I think you'll find it uh, edifying, but we, we looked at how you gain trust how you sustain trust, and then how you can regain trust. And we talked about the difference between trust and forgiveness, which a lot of uh, religious people get fuzzy about. So we presented that to you from the, that biblical perspective. and hope that will minister to you and help you in, in, in your relationships, particularly uh, those deep attachments that you desire to form, that God-given desire in, in you. Uh, those uh, most fulfilling relationships, now you can take it or leave it, young people. I hope you'll at least be open to what I'm telling you today, all right? Uh, the relationships that are most fulfilling, uh, physically intimate and rewarding over the long haul are the relationships where the other components uh, are high. Those levels are high. There's commitment. There's reliance. Uh, there's trusting. There's knowledge about the other. In weeks one and two, we've in essence said the same thing, that trust and knowledge are built slowly over time. And you can't cheat that. Listen to me. Trust and knowledge are built slowly over time. So today we want to look at this third. It's the word rely. Note takers, write that in, circle that. It's the word rely. We're going to talk about reliance. When it comes to relying on others, there's two unhealthy extremes that some of us, many of us fall into. One extreme would be, uh, this is basic stuff, but stay with me. I think you'll appreciate it. One extreme is that we're too dependent on others. 
There's not enough God dependence in our lives. We're looking for a few people for those deep attachments. We're looking to them to do things only God can do. We're putting undue pressure and burden on that relationship. And it's always a weight uh, that that person can't bear. If it's a spouse that you've known for years or, or, or you're newlyweds or it's a dating relationship or close friendship, we, we, we become dependent. Psychologists over the last, I think, five to six decades have given it a name, given it a label, given it a moniker. They call it codependency. And many people go to therapy and that comes up. You're dependent, overly dependent. You're codependent on someone. That's one uh, unhealthy extreme and you probably see this coming. The other unhealthy extreme is independence. It is the American way. It is, if you want something done right, uh, do it yourself. Uh, if, I, you know, I, I got, if I want it done that way, I got to do it my way. That's the only way. There's a word that has become ubiquitous. It's out there. It's everywhere. It didn't exist for most of my life. Young, young people, this may surprise you, but the word selfie is sort of a new word. Um, now, we call it a selfie because no one knows how to spell narcissism. Now... <laughs> The selfie, hey, wait here, hold my, hold this, let me, let me, hold on, hold on, let me take a selfie. And we live with this uh, level of in, independence. Uh, I am, I am a sovereign, independent entity. I possess the inalienable right to live life my way, to be the master of the fate, to be the captain of my own destiny. Um, I've decided to live things, in, in, to do things uh, my own way to quote one scholar, uh, one theologian from the from the eighties. I decided long ago to never walk in anyone's shadow. If I fail or if I succeed, at least I know I lived what I believe. No matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity because the greatest love of all is happening to me. The greatest love of all is inside of me. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. Now, two things quickly. In the eighties, I had a mad crush on Whitney Houston. Secondly, Jesus said, love others as you love yourself. So there's a healthy component to that, but I, I consider these lyrics, put a few exclamation points behind them and think, man, no wonder so many of us are so lonely. One uh, former surgeon general, respected, of course, in the medical field, uh, several years ago said uh, th that the number one pathology that uh, he sees uh, doctors treating is not cancer or diabetes or heart disease, but it's loneliness. Some reports say more than half the people uh, in America feel deep pains of loneliness. I would argue that it's much more because loneliness is something that no one wants to admit. I hear people all the time say, oh, I'm, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm important. That's the connotation. But I hear very few people willing to say uh, that I'm lonely. So where would you be this morning? What would be your tendency uh, to be overly dependent on someone? Or would it be uh, to be too dependent? Take a look at uh, our text today, uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. And it says this. I might need you upstairs. I'm doing the best I can with this remote control. Uh, Romans 12, 5. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually we're members of one another. Far from the greatest love of all is learning to love myself. Far from I'm the master of my own faith, the captain of my own ship. Romans 12 invites us into a life away from dependency and a life away from independence to a life where we would be, have a healthy interdependence on one another. And uh, it's, here's the, the big idea of the sermon this morning. You'll only find God's purposes for your life through dependence on him and a healthy in, in, interdependence with others. Uh, I would say uh, a desperate dependency, uh, a visceral, 
a deep abiding dependence on God. Jesus would say, blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You've looked at every broken cistern here in the world today. You've tried to find your fulfillment in so many places, but God wants to teach you that your dependence, utter ultimate dependence is in him. But oh, by the way, let's walk with each other and let's have a healthy interdependence on each other. So today, let's, let's consider what that uh, healthy interdependence, uh, what it might look like. Now, we see this, by the way, let me just do this construct theologically. We see this uh, in the very character of God. Uh, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the Bible just gives to us a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image, in the very character of God, as an example to us, we see interdependence, we see togetherness, connection, community, belonging, love is in the Godhead. It's the very nature and character of God. An example for us. It flows from the divine, from who God is. We also see it in creation. In Genesis 1, uh, we see a perfect world. God created a garden. Hey, Mississippi people, there was no humidity. It says they walked with God in the what coolness of the day. We've been waiting like maybe it'll get cool at night. Maybe we can exaggerate and call this cool, but it was cool in the day. In the middle of the day, they walked with God in the coolness of this perfect garden. When God created, he said it was good. Beautiful Hebrew poetry here, a succession of claims that God made. And God says, hey, I'm going to make the moon and the stars. And he said, it is good. I'm going to make plants and animals. He said, it is good. I'm going to make man. He said, it is good. He surveyed the landscape and he said, it is very good what I have made. By the way, a side note, if you work and you put your heart into your job, if you're a groundskeeper and you cut the grass and survey uh, the immaculate landscape, if you're an accountant and you balance the ledger, if you're a salesperson and you did the presentation, when you look and survey a, a, a day, a job well done, you're tapping into the divine. You're reflecting in part the creator God who created, who worked and said it is good. It was all good. And the first negative comment in the history of the world follows Genesis 1, found in Genesis chapter 2. It, remember, there was no fall, no sin had entered, no racism, no pollution, no ABC show called The Bachelor. Everything was good, just as God intended. But he looked and he said, the first negative comment, he said, here it is, found in Genesis chapter 2. He said, He said, the Lord God said, it is not good. Whoop. I tell you what, Gene, I'm going to leave it with you. How about that? I'm just going to put this up. You got it? This thing is vibrating, and so it's just hyperactive. Um, Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Uh, two things here, the word helper, um, um, I know there's a lot of gender uh, sensitivity today, and I, I love to preach the whole counsel of God from the scripture. And I want to say to tell you today that this word helpmate or helper is not a derogatory term in fact it's the same word that God used to describe himself uh, he is not saying the woman is less than a man so go help him in fact God Jesus said when I'm gone the helper will come and be with you he will help you it's the same language the same connotation so just as man is not greater than God man is not greater than woman this is not about uh, any inequality here so don't read into that as some uh, people do they usually have an axe to grind and don't, don't understand the history context uh, of the scripture but another thing here uh, to bring out is God is saying, hey, I, um, I don't intend everyone to get married, but I don't want anyone to be alone. 
This is not a verse that says everybody ought to get married and if you're not married, you're less than. And we can live in a society like that and the church can be one of the chief culprits. So hear me today, if you are single, you're single and waiting or single, you're not sure that you're waiting. If you're single and lonely, if you're single and unhappy, whatever the case may be, you are no less for your singleness. Don't put your life on hold. Don't let anybody tell you that your life is on hold, that you have any less worth than anybody else Uh, some of the loneliest people I know are people who are married they sleep in the bed six inches apart but they're six miles apart emotionally in any sort of connection so don't feel any less about yourself we don't want this to be a place uh, where you you feel that way I want to give you three ideas related to so we see that this interdependence this interconnectedness It flows from the very character of God. We see it in the act of creation theologically, but the practical implications for us are quite staggering. I want to give you three points of theological truth as we frame this, and then I want to talk to married people, and then I want to talk to single people. And I want single people to listen while I'm talking to married people, and married people to listen while I'm talking to single people. You have something, number one, you have something someone else needs. Two, someone else has something you need. Three, reliance, remember our word is rely, it's the third one of the relationship attachment model. Reliance is interdependence where you meet the needs of each other. Number one, you have something someone else needs. You have a prayer, you have a passion, you have a touch, you have a shoulder, you have a place where you can say, me too, I understand your struggle. You have something. The scripture says in Romans 12, talks about it, that you have spiritual gifts. I read recently that 97% of American church-going Christians have not identified their primary spiritual gift. Can I just say that's a tragedy? Romans 12 talks about some of the gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about some of the gifts. They're talked about in places in the New Testament. There are diagnostic tools. Uh, mostly you'll learn about your gifts as you serve other people. Your gifts will come to bear. People will affirm those gifts. If you notice that when you do good to other people, people will affirm how you do well. And there's some things unique to you. And w- listen, if, if we need you. We need you. Other people need you. You have something that other people need. Some of you are walking around so low. You call it humility, but it's, it's just bad self-esteem. You're so low. You can play racquetball on a curve. Like, it's not a good thing. And you're like, man, I don't have anything for anybody, but you do. And listen, if your life is a mess and you're in a struggle, you have that to give. Like, that could be, that honestly could be your gift because we connect with people through our weaknesses have you learned that so that could be your gift someone else has something that you need listen I time and time again I have been the turtle on the fence post I have been elevated I've been promoted I've had a good blessing in my life I've had a door open I've seen God bless me and someone else put me there someone else opened the door someone else affirmed me I'll share a story with you in a minute about Mr. Earl Darrington who's been a big encourager who came along just at the right time he's with Jesus now I'll tell you about him in a moment but he came along just at the right time just when I wanted to quit just when I thought I wasn't a leader just when I thought I I didn't have what it takes and he spoke truth into my life these things are true so Uh, to married people it's an honor to pastor it's an honor to stand with people in special moments Uh, she can tell you it never gets old for me to be there in those special times weddings I love them I've I've got several coming up we got one in New Orleans next month that we're going to go to together uh, and have fun with Blake and Allie but this is a common this is a common sight and sound at weddings today you may know this Just a quick clip there, but if I could speak to that, that groom, I would say, man, get it together. <laughs> like, seriously, 
you're coming apart, dude. It's a common thing for preachers when we're standing with a groom and the bride is coming down the aisle. Uh, I do this a lot. I think some of my cohorts do, but I'll look at that groom and I'll look at, we'll look over at her walking down the aisle to him and I'll say, man, this is as good as it's going to get right here. And it just slowly, best case scenario, just slowly, you know, gets with it. right here. You enjoy this moment right here. Here's what happens. Like that happens where we have weddings and man, would you doubt them? Anybody want to, anybody want to raise your hand and say that guy is, doesn't love that woman? Anybody think that guy doesn't love that girl coming down the aisle? Like that dad's holding on, but that guy, he, he wants that. He wants her. He, 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 he he's all in. But here's what happens. And it, it, it touches every marriage that I know distance distance and oftentimes the distance is formed it derives from our differences and the very thing that God intended to draw us together and be a complement to a watching world that's really in need of more love more faithfulness more fidelity more togetherness it needs this mission. It needs this togetherness of a couple. But our differences but that men and women have tend to drive us apart. And can I say to all the married people, because I'm talking to you and single people are listening, but married people, like this distance is where Satan sets up shop. So cultivate that. It's been said that before marriage, opposites attract. And after or during marriage, opposites attack. So be careful of the distances. Anybody old enough to remember newspaper advice columnist? Anybody remember that a concept? Dear Abby was the most prolific, the most popular. Uh, one time a woman wrote to Dear Abby and she said, I'm 44 years old. I'm looking for a man my age with no bad habits. And she wrote back and said, uh, me too. I would like that as well. There was a, a college class uh, several years ago um, in the mid one of the mid-Atlantic states where the professor put these words up on the screen um, and it was a challenge for the power of uh, punctuation so I'm just going to uh, let you read it yourself because it's part of the illustration so they asked the uh, professor asked the class demonstrate the power of punctuation to put the punctuations mark commas or whatnot where they need to be the women in the class in this college class they did it this way you got it? Woman, without her, man is nothing. And the men responded this way. Woman, without her, man is nothing. There are differences, and neurologists tell us quite clearly of some of the differences. Here's one that's very predominant. Uh, we've bumped into this in our own uh, relationship, marriage of 26 years, uh, women have a, they have a larger connection between the two hemispheres of their brain, which means they are generally speaking, they're, uh, they have superior verbal skills. So women, let me help you here because uh, oftentimes you don't get it. We genuinely enjoy being with you. We just don't want to talk that much. These differences that we experience can drive us away. And when we find and we counsel with a couple who's struggling with this difference, who are allowing their differences to give Satan a foothold and divide them, I make a plea, particularly with the guys, and I'm like, bro, you have somebody who forsook all others for you alone, and now she feels all alone. Work on that. Strive for that unity. Learn to rely on each other. Learn to cultivate and work through 
anything. I said it in week one. The way to build trust, week two sermon, is to get to know each other and don't mail it in. First Peter chapter three says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding manner. Be a student of her. Learn her ways and her ways are evolving ways. Uh, there are moods and there are seasons and there are cycles and there are changes that take place. And these things can divide you. They can make you go, oh, she's weird. She's different than me. I'll just rely on myself. Or it can move you closer to her. You can be responsive in that dynamic space and say these very differences are the way God created her. And these differences can be a thing of beauty, a complementary thing of beauty. When someone has forsaken all others for you alone, don't let them feel alone. Psychologists tell us that a person, particularly a spouse, needs about 10 meaningful physical touches a day. But yet so many of us, once we get past the stage of this groom crying, we get into a place where it's about kids and diapers and paying bills. We're no longer exchanging affection, just grunts of information periodically with the other person. But live with each other, touch each other, focus on that, and let God bring uh, these differences together. Let them, let them be a complementary and learn to understand uh, the differences. Next month, Fondren Church will mark 11 years. Um, we're not celebrating uh, 11 years. Like we won't have a party or a big service and hear stories and have a panel like we did last year for uh, marking 10 years, uh, celebrating 10 years. But we'll just mark it. And we'll, I know, at least privately celebrate God's faithfulness in the life of this faith family. One of the great blessings, our church was nearby, at, next door at Dueling Hall for two and a half years. Then we moved uh, over here so we've been in the building uh, close to um, eight and a half nine years and early on uh, many of you know we shared this space we didn't build it if we had planted a church in 2011 like we did we would not have built stained glass in a steeple and done all this but isn't it great that we have this and this place was built in 1947 uh, by the church of Willen Hills Baptist and in these first several years we shared the space with them for five years and it marked a little bit of tension uh, with a, a, an aged, dying congregation that only had a few years of life left, with an upstart congregation that's predominantly young, like Fondren Church. So we had some tension uh, involved. I remember one time I got called into a decoration uh, committee meeting uh, with some 80-year-old women. And my wife, I was leaving the house for this meeting that was called, and it was them on one side of the table versus me on the other. My wife told me right when I left the house, don't say a word, Robert, don't say a word. Just say, yeah, the only thing you can say in this meeting is praise Jesus and yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And I did what she said, and it worked out. One of the great friendships, one of the greatest friendships I've ever known was with a man named Earl Darrington. This is Earl Darrington. I want to show you the picture. Gina, you got it. This is Mr. Earl. Earl was a believer in Jesus Christ. He loved his country and believed that he lived in the greatest country in the whole world. He fought in what Winston Churchill called the greatest battle of World War II, the Battle of the Bulge. He was captured by enemy troops and was for a long time, he suffered as a prisoner of war. Bronze Star, Purple Heart, and the personification of Romans chapter 5, we're in chapter 12, but Romans 5, verse 3, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, proven character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint because God's love is shed abroad in our hearts. Mr. Earl loved his country. He loved his God first. 
he loved his church that, and his church, our church became his church. In his last days, uh, when he came here and would sit on the front row, I don't know why y'all don't like to sit on the front row, but Mr. Earl would come and uh, uh, sit on the front row. And when he couldn't come anymore, he would write me letters. He would talk about our church. He would talk about leadership. He would talk about what he saw in me when I didn't see it in me. He would write and say, hey, brother, let me tell you how God's using you. Let me tell you what I see in you. Like one day I wanted, one, one season I wanted to quit, she could tell you. But Mr. Earl was one of those who, man, he just, he buoyed me. Miss Pauline passed away in April of 2020. Y'all remember April of 2020 when they wouldn't let you go see loved ones, when they made you wear a mask and keep six feet apart and you, you couldn't have more than 10 people at a special occasion. And so when Miss Pauline, his wife of almost 70 years, passed away, some of you showed up, you drove by the house to wave at him, you had the flags, and we sat with Mr. Earl when he lost Miss Pauline. And I remember at the graveside that day, he looked at the casket, and he said, Nick Crawford was standing with me, he'll remember this, and he, Mr. Earl looked at the casket, and you know, that's a good girl right there. And then he turned and comforted his son, who's 62 years old, and he gave him comfort and said, hey, she's with Jesus. I remember thinking in that moment that Mr. Earl, he so loved Miss Pauline that he wouldn't make it long without her. And he passed away at 97 years old, nine months later. And it was again my honor to stand with his family on January 26th of 2021 to pay respects to this man. And can I just say, when it comes to life and love and relationships, this is what it looks like. This is what marriage is about. We, this is not insulting, it's not pejorative, please hear me on this, but we live in a society, our culture just celebrates youth and beauty. And the older I get, the more I think that's a shame. But we celebrate, like we do People Magazine Best Beach Bodies, and like everybody's in their 20s. Can I tell you, it's so easy to have a beach body when you're 22 years old, you know? But when they put those 45, 50-something-year-olds, I'm like, there you go, that takes work right there. Now, that's an accomplishment, now, how much more in marriage, how much more in marriage to know and trust and rely and commit and to know that the touch and the intimacy is so much sweeter and it's what everybody longs for that's called to marriage because of these other things, because you do it God's way. And I look at Mr. Earl and I say to you today, that is it. We want to celebrate the bride coming down the aisle. I'm all about it. But that's what we celebrate, and that's what marriage ought to be. Cultivate the dynamic, responsive space between you and your mate. Continue to get to know each other. So to single people, I want to say to you, um, Jesus was single. Jesus never married and what we see in God in the human flesh, I think can speak to you today. I tried this at 930. I hope it will connect to somebody who's single today. But Jesus, far, he, look, look at Luke 5, 16. This describes Jesus. It says that he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, don't let that word lonely trip you up. The better English word is the place of solitude. Uh, he was with the Father. Uh, he wasn't rejecting people as much as going to the Father uh, today, in our day, we may call it self-care. But Jesus was 
pouring his out, heart out to the Father and demonstrating to us that, and some of you are very activist-oriented. I love that. The world is changed by people, men and women who are, who are activists. But you need to cultivate the contemplative side as well. But in Jesus, we don't see a lonely man as much as we see someone seeking solitude. But listen, Jesus learned, God in human flesh learned to rely on other people. As a man, we'll get into this when we do our series in Philippians next month. But in Philippians, we learned that Jesus, he, even though he was God, he didn't think it's something that he ought to grasp but he he emptied himself and became a man became a servant uh, in order to serve in order to love in order to die in order to live he lived that way he emptied himself for us but he took on limits and when he took on limits we see stories of Jesus where he goes to a woman at a well and he asks her for a drink where he tells the disciples oh go get me a donkey so that I can ride it I need to ride something I am weary he told the same disciples stay here with me and don't fall asleep and pray because this is hard and I am sorrowful what they do they fell asleep they had one job and they didn't do it you ever, you ever that person you had one job don't fall asleep and pray and they fell asleep he took on limits do you know this that even somebody else carried helped Jesus carry his cross so single people live a life of reliance. Stay, stay away from this dangerous dependency, uh, but reject this, this uh, independent streak and be with people. Get out and live your life. And I said it earlier, don't put your life on hold. You're no less than any married person in the room and be with people. I don't have it on the screen, but there's a proverb, Proverbs 18.1. It says in one translation that if you live in isolation, you spit on the common good. In other words, well, points one, two, and three, you, people need you and you need other people. So don't live life alone. And even though you haven't found that person, that person's not uh, there for you yet or ever, don't put it on hold. Live independence and rely on, rely on other people. So let's look at a couple of passages as we begin to round toward home from Romans chapter 12. It says to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. We'll bypass a couple of these next, this picture and video, Gino, but just stay here for a second. Um, I had uh, 12 to 13 men in my office Friday morning. We're starting a new study. We're just going to follow along with the sermons and look at drive through love in these few weeks and then jump into how happiness happens, this study in Philippians. But here's what I know. When you get, get a handful of people together, this, could be, this will be true in your small group. It's true in life. When a few people do gather uh, there are people who have produced and accomplished, they've achieved something, they're strutting a little bit, they're happy, and you rejoice with them, like way to go. And have you lo- noticed this, that if you share joy, joy doubles? Like, joy, like if, you're, if you're just, uh, uh, years ago when I went, went through my first midlife crisis, I started running some marathons. And my last marathon, I ended up in an ambulance in a hospital in Fargo, North Dakota. I hadn't done one since. Uh, I, just, I like to end on an L, just take the loss <laughs> Take the loss and preach sermons and stuff. But, but I, when I went through this crisis, I started running marathons. And, uh, you know, I was, I, want, I was wanting a time, wanting a time. And I was in my, uh, my 40s. I was like, man, I'm going to get under four hours and da-da-da. And when I finally did that with some friends, Ty and Chris, and I crossed the finish line in Cincinnati, Ohio. Man, I was so happy to cross that line in three hours and 51 minutes. And uh, I'm, I'm no athlete. That's why anything I've ever accomplished, I like to tell people about it. But, um, but, I, but I crossed that line in 351, almost 352. And I was, I was so fatigued. And I was so happy. But when my friend grabbed, none of us guys had our cell phones. So my friend Ty grabbed a strange woman's cell phone. Said, hey, can I, can I, can I borrow your phone? He kind of stole it slash borrowed it. And called Susan and put me on the phone with her. I'm laying on the ground uh, needing, needing a medic tent. And, um, and tears came. Because there's one who's above all else in my life. 
and I rely on her and she watched me train and she uh, fed me carbs and told me I was stupid and, 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 and uh, if it's not TMI, she rubbed my calves and quads and, and stuff and she, she, she got me through, but it, was, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't that magical until she shared it with me. And that's the blessing that God intends for marriage, but it's the blessing he intends for every human soul listening today. That we would have joy, but we would share joy. And isn't it a good feeling when you get a phone call and there's joy on the other line? There's good news, a job promotion, an expression of love, a birthday celebration. Somebody's on the other line and there's good news and you're able to rejoice with them. But let me just say this. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. Hear me now. I don't say this to scare you. I say it to prepare you. You're going to get a phone call one day. You're going to get a phone call one day. It happens to every life. It could be the doctor's office with news that is not good. It could be something about a kid away at college. It could, be, it could involve a trip to the police station or to the hospital or to the funeral. It could involve something really dark. You're going to get a phone call one day. And you're, you're every, every, everybody in the room, everybody listening, watching at home, you're, you're going to be in one of two conditions. You're going to be essentially all alone, isolated, disconnected from people and emotionally unsure if you have anyone to turn to or you're going to be surrounded by people who know you and love you because you've eaten with them and worshiped with them and been in a small group with them you've traveled with them you've gone you've sacrificed a fun family vacation to go on a mission trip with them you rolled up your sleeves and didn't give up on Jackson you served the city you worshiped you prayed with them you laughed with them you cried with them you shared a secret about yourself if you thought you used to think when they knew it about you they would reject you and you were known and you were loved. And when you get that phone call, you'll have somebody to turn to. And let me just say this as Lauren and the team come up and we begin to close. I could not have said this as a preacher in my 20s or my 30s and barely in my 40s. I'm not going to tell you my exact age. But I can tell you now from experience that people that live independently, that people that don't have deep attachments with other people, it becomes very, very awkward for them to reach out for help when they have lived so much of their lives in isolation. It's one of the most clumsy, awkward, and despairing things known to man. So we live and we depend on each other. We rely on each other. Would you stand? And would you allow me to pray over us? God, I pray if we're on any, either, either extreme of over-dependency, codependency, or interdependence, that you move us to the middle, that you strip away pride, call us into mutually satisfying dependent relationships. Knowledge and trust are built slowly over time. Help us to gain it, sustain it, and as necessary to regain it. Lord, call us into relationships where we can rely on each other. And oh God, I would pray where others could rely on us. As ushers come forward, we pray, God, that you would bless these tithes and offerings. We pray it virtually every week that our church would abound and abound more and more in generosity to our neighbors, to, our, to the nations to the needs that are in this room that we would be a vessel 
that we would be a conduit where your blessings flow on us, through us. In Jesus we pray.